Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining me today on Brand Story, Inc. is Ben DeJesus, the president of NGL Studios and the chief creative officer of NGL Collective. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jay. I appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to jump in. Let's properly frame things up about NGL Studios, which is the content studio for NGL Collective. Share with our audience what NGL Collective is, uh, and including the several media publishing entities that you own. Sure. Well, NGL Collective is kind of like I say, it's the, it's the mothership of, of several different companies that fall under our uh, banner. We have a company that handles media distribution online, which is NGL Media, when we're the largest uh, distributor of uh, online advertising for Latinos. Then we have NGO Live, which uh, handles the Hispanicize event, the largest gathering of Latinx content creators and influencers. Then we have uh, NGO Insights, NGO uh, um, Studios, which is the department that I run. And we're essentially, we, we create content for brands and we also do original content as well. And, and NGL Collective owns a bunch of media publishers as well, right? Latina Moms and a couple of other entities. Uh, maybe you could talk about some of those publishing entities that you have. Sure. When we when we acquired Hispanicized last year, as part of that deal, it came along with some really fantastic uh, owned and operated uh, sites, one of which is uh, Latina Moms. Uh, then we have a Hispanic Kitchen, which has over a, a million and a half followers on uh, social media. So. It's exciting. We have a, a really a full array of, uh, of, of brands and, and portfolio and sites that other uh, companies can really leverage. Awesome. Well, uh, since Brand Story Inc. Is, is really keyed in on the content studio, I want to go to the main part of your day job and dig in on NGL Studios. Maybe you could just give us the overview on what you do, how NGL Studios is staffed, and, and how it works within the larger company of NGL Collective. Sure. Well, when we first started NGL Media, that was kind of the original company. We were doing uh, a lot of content that were brand uh, brand driven, that were branded content that would have celebrities or influencers or music artists. And as part of those deals, a lot of times there would be a production component. And at the time, we would just package it all together under the NGL Media deal. And we would execute these campaigns for, for a variety of brands that wanted to reach the Latinx audience. As we continue to grow uh, over the last several years, we realized, well, wait a second. We, we, we're doing a lot of these things through NGO Media, but at this point, it almost feels like its own, its own company, the, the, at least the content execution uh, division. So at that point, we decided to, to brand it as NGO Studios. And rather than just waiting on clients and brands to to make content deals happen, we also opened up an original original content development department. And that's been uh, kind of 50% of our business has been producing, producing content for brands, but the other part of it is really telling stories that capture the Latinx experience that don't necessarily have a brand attached to it. So for example, mm-hmm. we did a documentary recently, uh, which was John Leguizamo's Road to Broadway for PBS. And that had no brand attached to it. We went, we developed it on our own. We shot it, and eventually it was acquired to uh, through uh, PBS. And then we did the same thing with uh, telling the story of the uh, the late great Puerto Rican actor Raúl Julia. 
So now as we look forward to the future, we're, we're not just waiting for brands to call us and, and have these deals happen. We're really focused on also just bringing original content and stories, whether it's for the web or for television or for streaming, et cetera. And, and so far we've, we've been able to be, uh, successful and 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 growing so we're really excited about that part of the business yeah i mean i think it's an important point that you make there and it's it's for those of for those listening i, I venture to guess most of them are, are pretty well steeped in kind of the content studio concept but there's a whole bunch of different ones right um last week last week's episode we had the president of digiday brian morrissey and we talked about digiday right and his their content studio which is much more of kind of a b2b publisher um, I think what's interesting about NGL and, and quite candidly, uh, the company that, that I'm a co-owner of, Teamworks Media, is kind of set up the same way. It, what, what's what's interesting to me is it's the dis- different business models. To your point, there's like a there's an agency component where there's work for hire, brands hire you, they own it, you make money on you know the production and execution, and then you have other platforms like you have your own distribution uh, technology platform, and then you have your own you know, which is kind of the brass ring, that intellectual property, like you just talked about, some of those original content that you're making, which you get to own and try to monetize. And and so it's it's a pretty diverse portfolio uh, approach. I, I, I'd love to understand the, your staff. How is in, what type of staff do you have on NGL Studios? Um, who's on it? What types of roles that you have? Sure. Well, when I first started my career, I, I actually was a producer and a writer at MTV. I was actually one of the original producers of MTV Cribs. So I always had this idea of us doing our own mm-hmm. content, not aside from the brand stuff. So uh, initially we had a producer who was our head of production, and that's uh, Jill Kokori, who's been with me for about 15 years. But then as we started moving into uh, some of the original content, I was able to bring one of my old bosses from MTV Cribs, to handle development and to uh, handle the uh, the John Leguizamo documentary. Mm-hmm. So she's been a, a part of our team over the the, the last uh, year or so in terms of uh, those projects that uh, she was handling. Then we have a full-time uh, edit staff, a post-production staff that's manned by uh, the amazing Edgar Andrade, who also has been with me since my previous production company for about 15 years. And then as needed, we, we bring in more people. Like So when we're doing a shoot, let's say we're doing a commercial, we just shot something for uh, the U.S. Census last week mm-hmm. with a celebrity in Miami. So, of course, we, we ramp up. If yep. we need you know 10 people to work, we bring 10 people on board. But for the most part, it's a tight-knit crew of people. There's about six of us in our, in our team. And then, like I said, depending on the project or the scope of it, we ramp up accordingly. Although I suspect that with the new normal that we're all living, things are going to be more more streamlined and lean. Yeah. And uh, I don't think you're going to see the same footprint in terms of production that you might have seen before on a, a commercial or a movie yeah. or a TV show. And, and I have to say that, you know, companies that are a little bit more nimble like yours and ours, I see this as an opportunity. Of course, we, we want things to go back to normal first and foremost, and we want we want this to this crisis as it stands to, 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 to be solved. But I also don't believe that this idea of having these giant productions with a huge footprint and major yeah. dollars, I don't think that that's coming back in the same way that it was before. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, it, that, that, it, I, think I, I agree with you. I, I, um, we've got friends at some of the major media companies as you do. And 
even still in the year 2020 and, and with, with everything going on, like before coronavirus, some of the, the conversations that I was having, we were getting business opportunities from them. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a small firm um, headcount wise, right? We're 30-ish um, folks. And it was like, we, I, I was, there was this notion of, hey, I'm very proud of what we do, but of course we can, we can help. But you have so many people here. And, and the men, why do you need us, right? Like you have so many headcount here. And, and, and it was, you know when you have craft services and a 40 person crew for a 30 second spot and that's what you grew up on it takes a long time for those companies to change and i i totally agree with you that um you know the thinning out and if there's one thing uh, I'd, I'd be curious to get your take on this is one of my big takeaways is i think this is great for digital media in general what's happened is that a lot of people have just realized look it's not about the production aesthetic it's about how good is the content? How engaging is it, right? I mean, when you're seeing Seth Meyers shooting out of his attic and, you know, it's it's how good is what's on the screen in front of you? How engaging is it? Not how pretty does it look? Totally. I, I agree 100%. And it's like I said, it's, a, it's almost like a reshuffling of the deck. And I don't know, I think for companies that are on the smaller side, like, you know, I would consider our, our company, we're not one of the huge, right. you know, ad agency production companies that are doing all these million dollar campaigns every week. I think it's an opportunity because we, we, we've always had to operate in a more lean and mean yeah. way and really yeah. rely on our, our storytelling prowess to, to kind of let us rise to, uh, to the top of mind as opposed to all the bells and whistles that maybe some of the other bigger companies have had. So I, I, I'm excited, but first and foremost, we obviously want things to uh, to be resolved and we want people to be safe and healthy. Well, you know, interesting time. We're recording this in, in mid-June 2020, and we're right in the heart of the Black Lives Matter movement um, as we record this. And, um, you know, everyone in the country knows the conversation around um, black lives, but in general, diversity and equal equal um, equal rights and equal playing field in in the, in the more macro. Those conversations are happening. They're at the forefront of every industry right now. And so, you know, today I, I'd really like to dig in on the U.S. Latino audience, and um, it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, I'm a white male who owns La Vida Baseball, a Latino lifestyle and baseball media company. So I've been on the front lines for the past now three and a half years after we invested in building this media company um, and and been on the front lines talking to brands and, you know, quite candidly was shocked. Um, I shouldn't have been in retrospect, but I was about some of the things that I would hear and perceptions about the Latino audience, especially based on the fact that it's more than 20% of the U.S. population. So I'd love to dig in uh, on this topic. And, and I'd be curious to get your take on brands' perspectives of the Latino audience. There's always this, um, there's there's the general audience bucket, right? So, and I've heard this argument before, an ESPN or a sports media entity will say, well, come to us because 20% of our audience is Latino, right? And then there's the multicultural bucket, which is come to us we're specifically Latino. We know the Latino brand, uh, like an NGL. Uh, I'm curious of, of how y- you and your colleagues at NGL are seeing the marketplace. What are brands talking about to you guys these days? Uh, you've built a great business. 
Uh, is your money coming from multicultural buckets? Is it coming from general buckets? Is it com- how, how is that working for you? Sure. Well, I, I agree with you that people and brands have a perception about the Latin market that is not necessarily accurate uh, at all times. I think some people and some brands really get it, which is if you want to reach the Latino consumer, it's not enough to just advertise on a Spanish novella, you know, at eight o'clock on Univision. Yeah, those days are gone. Yeah. Like I really I see it as like th- those days are gone. They were gone before the current crisis and the and the actual attention that, you know, the Black Lives Matter and the, and the brown skin movement is having now. So I see the approach being multi, multi-pronged. multi The ones who really get it realize that they got to go multicultural, but they also got to go Spanish language and they also got to go general market. There's no really one way to reach us. But what I will say is like this idea of, of the Spanish language being what makes it Latin, you know, geared uh, content, I think it's totally... Those days are gone. Like, for example, I'll use my father. He's in his 70s. He speaks Spanish 90% of the time. If you want to reach him, good luck reaching him on Univision because, or on Telemundo because he's only going to watch that maybe 30 minutes a day, whereas mm-hmm. before people would just put that channel on and, uh, and watch it all day long, all night long. And, 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 for example, my dad is more likely to be watching Discovery Channel or you know, Ozarks on Netflix than, than he is to be uh, watching, uh, for example, like a novella. Well, I think uh, you, so. you hit on a key point there, Ben. And I want to dig in on this, language, okay? And and this was probably the part, I feel like I, I carry this flag every day, um, again, as, 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 a, as a white male. And by language, I mean, when, when we first started La Vida Baseball, we didn't have the resources to do both English and Spanish. Right. And, and I went to the heads of Fox, ESPN, my, my friends there and said, hey, if you're starting a Latino baseball community, we saw there was a niche that, that wasn't being met and you had to start it in one language. What would you do And uniformly? And then all the data that I looked at, it was started in English. Right. It started in and in, in you, you look at the stats, the younger that you go, the, the younger the demographic, the more this English preferred. Ideally, you're doing both. But I. And sometimes I, I spend so much time talking to brands and educating people about the fact that uh, for people who are for people who aren't um, fluent in Latino or multicultural, there's this almost like knee jerk of Spanish checks a box. Spanish equals Latino, and it, it's frustrating. And it must be frustrating for you because it's a lot more complex than that. You just talked about it. it's like. You may have a, your, your dad speaking Spanish to you at home, but you're consuming sports together or whatever it is in English. To your point, it's not Telemundo and Univision equal Latino. And it's just it's still shocking to me that we're not talking. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the numbers, the Latino population is almost double the size of the African-American or black population in the United States. And yet it still seems to be almost treated as if it's like a single digit percentage when you really look at the big brands am i off in that or is that just my own is that just my own experience no i think you're i think you're 100 right and i think that's it's a shift in the in the perception but it's also a shift in who's who are like the gatekeepers to those budgets Mm -hmm. who are the decision makers And, and and if all of a sudden that starts really accurately representing who we are as a population meaning having more latinx media planners i think will change the perception because they're living it 
So I think we're in this weird kind of transition moment where, you know, not everybody gets it, but people are aware that there is obviously a, a, a gap that they're not meeting. But it's, it's, you know, in some ways it's very, there's leaps and bounds that you can take quickly, but then there's also like an incremental kind of inch by inch. So I think we're somewhere in the middle. But I do think that the more people you have in decision-making power that are Latinx and that, or at least somebody like yourself who just gets it, then we'll see the budget shift because it is, it's almost unfair in a way. If you start looking at the, the raw data in terms of the buying power and the, uh, the footprint that we have on the, on a con on the country culturally, but also as consumers. Um, unfortunately we're not there yet and we can see it while we're growing as a company and, I, and I'm glad you're growing as well. We still haven't maybe gotten to that other side of the, uh, of the mountain. I, I'm certain we haven't. I think we still have a long way to go in terms of uh, parity with uh, our, our competitors and our, uh, our other, the other cultures in the U.S. I'm talking with Ben DeJesus, Chief Creative Officer of NGL Collective and the president of NGL Studios, their content studio. Um, you guys work with world-class brands, Dodge, Ford, um, Valvoline, Amtrak, I mean, Jack Daniels, the list goes on and on. Um, how are you seeing our conversations changing? Is the tenor of them changing? You clearly have worked with, with brands that get it, and I'm sure you've worked with some brands that don't get it. What are the conversations like that are going on between NGL, your staff, your team, and brands? Well, everybody wants ultimately authenticity. So they realize that you can't just talk at this market. You really have to be in it and the content has to be authentic and come from a place where there's a, a real knowledge and a deep understanding of the nuances of what makes our, uh, our Latinx brothers and sisters so unique and also what ultimately makes them buy. So I think the conversations we're having are certainly more I would say they're more enlightened in terms, terms that people are, are much further down the path of understanding, um, approaching it. But like I said before, there's still we still have some we still have some uh, some progress to make, and I, and I hope that we we get there. And as a company, NGL Collective is really trying to be at the forefront of that. Uh, it, the letters NGL actually stands for New Generation Latino, mm -hmm. which is a term that uh, our CEO David Chattel had coined some years back. And I think that this idea of the new generation Latino is becoming much more commonplace to the point that like when we're having a creative discussion with one of our clients and we're talking about content and we know that the market they want to reach is 18 to 34, Latinx, et cetera, et cetera. There's times that we haven't even spoken about language until further down the line, which to me shows that their understanding, it's not just about put it in Spanish and all of a sudden you're reaching the Latinx market. Yep. It's the opposite. So I see that almost like as a harbinger of, of people kind of getting it more. Whereas before it would be like, Oh yeah, this is for Spanish. Like you have to do this in Spanish. Now the conversation is much more nuanced mm -hmm. and much more kind of like, well, maybe we'll do a skew of 80% English. And, and if it authentically comes out certain parts in Spanish and that feels right, so I definitely feel there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more savviness that we're hearing from the brands right now, and I, that that excites us for sure. How much does how much do you and by you NGL Studios within NGL how much are you working in creating the content for Hispanic Kitchen and Latina Moms and some of the other media publishers that you've that you own and operate? 
we have our hands in it uh, in, in several different ways. It, it really depends. If there's a brand attached and they're going to do like a Facebook takeover on Hispanic Kitchen, for example, mm-hmm. we would be a little more involved with that process because they may be looking for more premium content. But, um, you know, our, our division, NGO Social, which is headed by uh, Piera mm-hmm. uh, Garibaldi, she really runs the day-to-day on the, on the execution of a lot of that content. But it, it really is kind of uh, depending on the, on the scenario. On a day-to-day, we may, we may have some involvement in terms of uh, direction and creative looks, but we may not be executing the actual content. Um, so a lot of that, and, and by the way, it, sometimes it should, it should be executed in a very user generated style mm-hmm. because that sometimes is what the audience is going to react to anyway. So sometimes it's better to do a little less, not saying that we can't, we, we try to keep things obviously quality and the sound good and things looking and sounding as good as possible. But at the same time, there is different, there's a different level of production. So sometimes our services are, are not necessary or not warranted for, uh, a certain part of those uh, those owned and operated entities, and mm-hmm. other times we are right in there, ex- essentially executing it from beginning to end. Uh, if you want to check out Ben's company, NGL Collective, go to nglcollective.com. Uh, ben, curious, give me an example, if you if you would, of a case study in recent time that you've done, or, or a project that you've worked on with a client who really got it. And, and how you were able to um, create something in partnership that, that really kind of tapped into the, the spirit and, and community that, that provided some results. I'm curious to get an example from you. Sure, sure. Well, like I mentioned before, we just recently um, did a, a campaign for uh, the U.S. Census. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shot a commercial last week, and we were dealing with a fantastic ad agency for the census out of Washington, D.C., and they, I would say they got it mostly because they, they were part of the community. So you're dealing with people who live and breathe the Latinx experience. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was really fantastic. And I thought it was, uh, you know, it just shows what happens when you're dealing with um, a client who is part of the community who, or who at least gets it uh, versus somebody who's just trying to check a box. You know, this is the market I have to reach. Okay, here, we'll give it to them. Uh, we had another campaign we did recently with uh, – with an ad agency out of uh, Chicago, Fluent 360. We did a, a, a content campaign with um, the Nissan Titan for them. Mm-hmm. And they were amazing to work with. And prior to that, we also did a Infinity campaign where we were highlighting some really uh, successful Latinx uh, entrepreneurs. And again, that was a perfect example of like, okay, we want to reach the Latin market. Um, by the way, no, this doesn't have to be in Spanish. It was just, that's just to me is like a sign of like, okay, you get it. You know, that language is ultimately not the, the, the deciding factor. So dig in there for me on the accurate example where you said you were highlighting Latinx um, entrepreneurs, correct? Is that what you said? Uh, Tell tell us, tell us more about that. Like what made it success? Like, tell us what you did. Tell us what the program was, why it's been successful. Sure. Well, we did uh, something for uh, the Infinity QX50, which is a uh, kind of a, a, a luxury. It is a luxury vehicle. It's a smaller SUV, midsize SUV, luxury vehicle, and they were targeting kind of Latin X first-time luxury buyers. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they were even thinking on that level, like saying, "Okay, we want to reach the Latin X people who have a lot higher income," that immediately was like, "Okay, these guys are getting it." 
So we ended up coming back to them with a content which was called Level Up, which was this idea of telling uh, the story of two entrepreneurs who, who leveled up in their life. One of the entrepreneurs was a, a, a woman out of uh, California named uh, Carolina Giraud, and she owns a, a lingerie company, Naya. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to tell her story and how she was able to overcome all the challenges that come with not being a Latin entrepreneur, but with just being a, an entrepreneur mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. So we told her story, and then we told the story of uh, Herman Flores, who I've known for, uh, for for many years, who's also a kind of a mogul. He's um, he owns a company called World of Dance that also has a TV show with J Lo on a, on one of the major networks. And the same thing, we were telling his story in a way that was very inspirational. So Herman doesn't really speak Spanish. That didn't matter. The the agency, the brand, uh, the client. We all felt like Herman's story was still indicative of, a, of an amazing, successful Latinx entrepreneur who's made it and who's now ready to, uh, to afford his own luxury vehicle. So Herman, because he knows so many celebrities in L.A., all of a sudden when we posted his content on his timeline, you have people like Shaquille O'Neal mm. responding to it and a ton of football players and singers and artists. And it was just incredible. I mean, I think we over-delivered the, the impressions on that, like, in the thousand percent range awesome. in terms of what we have guaranteed. So it's just exciting to, to work with brands that they see language as one of the tactics, but not the ultimate tactic. Good, good. Uh, we touched on this earlier with COVID and you said some, we talked about some streamlining. How do you see, how has NGL Studios evolved and where do you see it going? I see NGL Studios evolving in a sense that we want to do more content deals that are original ip mm-hmm. and so we've moved in that direction pretty heavily you know our partner john leguizamo is an iconic actor writer producer director so it know, should be mentioned he's a partner him, when you say partner he's he's actually a partner in the firm just for those listening yes yeah. yes exactly yeah. so we we're really leaning into that that focus uh in terms of just going out there with original ip whether it's uh, tv shows or or documentary films. We've had some really nice success with those over the last couple of years. And then we want to expand our, our, our branded content offerings. Things are changing. So we don't, once you get comfortable doing this style of production or this style of storytelling, if you get too comfortable, you're going to miss the the next thing and you're Mm -hmm. you're not going to be pushing the envelope. So that's kind of where we're at right now with this whole idea of COVID and, uh, and uh, kind of COVID related, uh, remote production mm-hmm. we've really gone deeply into that we created a new department called ngo virtual studios mm-hmm. so right now before i even got off of this right now i was just conducting a profile interview that i normally would do with my camera crew we would hop a plane and go to a place and profile a business and now we're doing it off of my laptop and i'm still directing and i'm i'm tweaking the shot and making sure the sound is good so this this idea of, of kind of getting too comfortable is something that we're, we try to avoid. We really try to keep pushing the envelope and innovating and, and learning about the new technologies that are out there and, and then offering them to our to our clients. Do you think the virtual studio is going to pop for you? Yeah, so far it's been fantastic. We've done five different productions in the last three weeks. And how does and it, how does like it work? Give me an example. Like, give me an example. I, I, it's fa- I'm fascinated. Give me an example of, like, I get it. I get it somewhat, but but go a little bit more into detail in, in terms of painting a picture for how the virtual studio works. 
other than just a recording sure. of someone on, on a, in a zoom like experience. Yeah. Well, it, it depends. Sometimes that is part of it as right. well is a zoom like experience, but you know, but, but tacking it on with all kinds of great B roll. So this idea of virtual studios at first, when the COVID hit, people were trying to say, okay, how can we repurpose, for example, a car company came to us. How do we repurpose the footage, the outtakes that we had from this car company and throw a voiceover onto it and, and all of a sudden it's new content and we didn't have to shoot anything and it's cheaper and, and we're still kind of staying current. That happened and there was a little kind of a bump from that mm-hmm. approach. And then all of a sudden people were like, well, we still want original content. So now we, we do several different options. We either have something as lo-fi as uh, influencer producing their own video with mm-hmm. our direction, which is kind of similar to what we've done before. Which is, you know, yes, we'll bring you this influencer, but we will make sure they execute according to the guidelines and the objectives to as far as us sending a camera package, microphone, lights, and really holding the hand of whoever we're shooting remotely. That's kind of like the middle range of it. Yep. And then now the, the more upper kind of more premium version of that is something like what we did last week. We shot a commercial with uh, Carlos Ponce about the U.S. Census, and normally I would have had, a, let's say, a crew of 25 people, catering, craft service, the whole nine. Instead, there was six of us, and mm-hmm. we were wearing masks all day, mm-hmm. and we were practicing social distance. And then when we shot the commercial and we edited the commercial, it looks like a commercial. Yep. And maybe, you know, this idea of, like, like I mentioned before, like scaled-down productions, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think that's going to become more of the norm than people realize. So that's especially those are like as, the three right? levels that we're operating at. Especially as What's budgets, that? especially as marketing budgets get slashed, it's always the first thing to get cut. Marketing and advertising from brands get slashed, and so therefore, yeah. it's how do you keep margin and you know by reducing cost, right? It's and so it's super cool. I love I love these examples. These are these are really helpful for Thank me. Thank you. Uh, where do you see the biggest opportunity for NGL NGL Studios moving forward? Sure. Well, I just, I, I still am really excited. I'm, I, I come from the, you know, the original content world and, and yeah, MTV, et cetera. So I, I feel really excited about, um, about just IP. Do you see saying, distributors you know changing? Like, do you see the Netflixes and the Quibis and the Amazons and even traditional folks? Do you see an increased appetite for Latino focused content? There, there is, and there was already, and it was just really starting to hit its stride. Like right now, like with HBO Max and Quibi out, the appetite was really just heating up. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate, you know, that the way the world has shifted and, and it's, you know, obviously we want everybody to be healthy and safe, but I, I'm almost, I'm saying it's a little too early right now to know completely how that's going to shake out. Mm-hmm. But in terms of wanting to reach the Latinx audience in a way that they never have before, absolutely. Like that was already happening, you know, with the shows like One Day at a Time and Pentified and on my block. So yes, I think their appetite is increasing. Uh, one of my favorite things I've seen during the Black Lives Matter movement is, uh, you know, uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Have you seen that? Um, I don't know if you've seen that yet. It's, yes, I have. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's great, funny. right? I mean, it's not funny. It's just so enlightening. Let's yeah, say, in and, a really and good way. I'm thinking that because I've had this burning question for you this whole time because you've used the word Latinx, and we have conversations about it. I, I'd be curious. This is you know uncomfortable conversations with a Latino and a white guy. 
right now, but I, I want to ask if you're cool with it, like Latinx, there, there's the term itself. I, I you know, uh, my colleagues who are Latino have had this conversation and they've told me it's, it's safer to go Latino. Sometimes Latinx can be offensive. What's your take on the terminology of Latinx versus Latino? I think it's, it's, it's on its way there. I think at first for me personally, it was hard to even wrap my, my, my mouth around it. It was just hard for me to say it, but I don't think, you know, I think that that's probably where ultimately the consensus is going to lie. It's I not, so whole, within like, NGL, when you guys or, use that word, um, your colleagues don't get offended by the word Latinx? Do they, do they embrace it? No, or? we're, we're, no, we're all on board at this point. Okay. Yeah. I think it's helpful. At first, there was a moment where it was hard to kind of remember, like, oh, is it Latino? Latino? It just, I think that's it, though. That This is going to be how it's going to go forward. I think people are just going to stay with the Latinx. It, will, it, it, it may win out. I feel, I feel good that we're able to even have the conversation, right, without offending one yeah. another. So that, I think that's a that's a start. So I appreciate your, your candor yeah. there. All right, so on, on a much lighter note, uh, each guest that comes on, I asked two things to wrap up. One is morning musts. What are your favorite sources of daily info to help you run NGL Studios? Kind of email newsletters, social follows, websites. How do you stay on top of industry trends? What are your favorite sources? Sure. I mean, I do the news, like right away, the, the news, the main news sources, you know, mm-hmm. the New York Times, mm-hmm. the Washington Post, the CNN. Then I dig a little deeper. I'm always uh, looking at what's happening in Hollywood, Deadline. Uh, uh, HispanicAd.com mm-hmm. and DigiDay; those are like kind of like my go-to. Okay. Uh, kind of daily, daily dose of what's what's going on in the world. Awesome, cool. And then my last question for you, Ben, before we let you go, is your nightstand book pile. I need to come up with a much better name for that. Um, but what's in your just <laughs> just read pile or in your want to read pile from a book perspective? Well, I just watched the uh, the morning show on uh, Apple TV, the show with Steve Carell and yep. Jennifer Aniston and, and Reese Witherspoon. And uh, one of the guys who's a producer on that, his name is Brian Stelter. Yep. And so he wrote a book that is kind of based on that show, which is the, like the morning show wars of, uh, you know, with Matt Lauer and all those yeah. people. So I'm reading that right now, the top of the morning. You recommend it? I'm also it? reading... Uh, is oh it yeah, it's good. It's just intri- it's like it's like Game of Thrones, <laughs> but with you know a smile on your face. It's uh it's pretty wild. I'm reading that, and then uh, Lin Manuel came out with a, a little coffee table book, and I'm reading as well. Uh, I'm into that, and then I'm always reading like director's books. So okay. I like reading you know different director uh, biographies. So that's kind of what I'm up to right now. Ben De Jesus, NGL Collective, NGL Studios. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jack. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.